Isaiah chapter 40, 3 through 5. Let me tell you my wish for you in 2010. May peace break into your home and may thieves come to steal your debts. May the pockets of your jeans become a magnet for $100 bills. May love stick to your face like peanut butter. And may laughter attack your mouth. May happiness slap you across the face and all your tears be tears of joy. May the problems you had in 2009 forget your address in 2010. (laughs) May 2010 be the best year of your life. Just on the outside chance that all that doesn't happen, let me give you a word from the Lord. Today, you've not come to this place by accident. I believe that you are on a collision course with a destiny and a divine appointment from God. He has for us today a specific word. So specific that I have to believe that it's not just for Kingwood Church, but it's for you. So specific I have to believe that it's not just for you, it's for Kingwood Church. In Isaiah chapter 40, let me give you the background before we read it. The first 35 chapters of Isaiah are about the the threat of judgment by the Assyrian nation. The last 27 chapters are about the promises of deliverance. And there's four little chapters tucked in between from 35 to 39 that is the link between those two times. That is the transition between those two seasons in Israel's life. It's a transitionary period. By the 40th chapter of Isaiah, Israel was in transition. A new era was beginning. Hezekiah was no longer the king. He had been a righteous leader for 29 years. Israel's enemy was beginning to change. The Assyrian nation had been a global power, and now it was shifting to Babylon. There was change on the inside and change on the outside. Israel was at a crossroads and God was refreshing their vision and he was refocusing their eyes for the future. Now let's fast forward from that century straight into the 21st century. If the Lord has a specific word for us this morning and it was, the, and it was specific to Israel in Isaiah 40... And that's the circumstances that the word came to them in. What are our circumstances that this word's going to hit us in? Well, by the year 2010, we find ourselves in a time of transition. Think about the environment that you and I are in. The entire world is changing rapidly. The world is reorganizing itself in a way that it hasn't in centuries. The last time we saw this kind of shift in the world was nearly 500 years ago when the world moved from pre-modern times to modern times. We're now moving from modern times to post-modern times. It just so happens that this shift straddles our lifetime. Happy New Year. And this shift is happening much faster than the last one. The last one took a couple of centuries, maybe 150 years. This one's taken a few decades. 
and it feels like we're on the Tokyo bullet train to who knows where. America is in decline in her international influence. The dollar has fallen on hard times. The Western dominance of the world is being challenged and will likely be challenged in greater ways in the decades to come. Terrorism will be a regular topic the rest of our lives. Militarily, our enemy is changing. We've gone from the, from the Cold War to the War on Terror. America spiritually is being rapidly redefined. The American church has not grown in four decades. And despite the Walmartization of the church, the church is now in an undeniable freefall of decline. Spiritually, the face of our enemies changing. The struggle we faced in decades past was most of America said, I know Christianity is true, I'm just, I'm just not going to do it. Now we face an entire different challenge. The challenge we face now is we've now made a religion to fit our own thinking and our own lifestyle. There, that's right, baby. You sing it. Don't you do it, you just sing it. There are atheistic evangelists moving across our nation who are pleading their case. I, I sat in Springfield a few weeks ago with a man who had a debate at Missouri State University with one of the leading atheistic evangelists. This is what's happening on college campuses is there are debates over the relevancy and the reality of Christianity. In modern times, there was a rebellion against authority through science. Now we face, in postmodern times, everyone has their own definition of what authority is through philosophy. It's a whole different animal. We live, furthermore, in a region of the world, in the region not of the world, in a region of, the, of America, the southeast, the Bible Belt, where Christianity is defined as a social culture. Right in the middle of all that you find Kingwood Church. And right in the middle of Kingwood Church is you. We're like Israel. Transition on the outside, transition on the inside. We're in the middle of a leadership transition. We're reaping the harvest of decades of righteous leadership. Our enemy's the same, but his face is changing. His approach is changing. He constantly morphs himself to stay relevant. In these exact circumstances, what do you think God's word to us would be? I think it would be the same as it was to Israel in Isaiah 40, 3 through 5. Look at it with me this morning. A voice of one calling, In the desert prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all mankind together will see it, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. What is God's message in transition? Let me tell you what His message is. I studied that chapter, I prayed over that chapter, 
I knew God had something for us in that chapter, but I couldn't figure out what it was. And the more I prayed over it and read it, the more it became clear to me. A word came rushing right at me. God's word for us in transition is prepare. His word for us in transition is get ready. Prepare the way. A new season is coming. God is about to do a significant work, but it must be prepared for. Moses was educated in Pharaoh's house and led sheep before he led Israel. He was prepared by God before he saw God's vision for Israel become a reality. David learned how to follow Saul, and then he learned how to lead sheep, and then he learned how to lead people. God prepared David before his vision through him became a reality. The disciples had three years with Jesus before they impacted the world. They were prepared by walking with Jesus before they went out and God's impact was made through the church on the known world at that time. Before Israel saw the vision in Isaiah 40, preparation had to be done. As I look at this passage, I found an interesting link. Do you know this is the exact passage that John the Baptist quoted in the New Testament? Somebody said, who are you, John? He said, I'm a voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. He referred back to that same verse. As I looked at those passages and I saw how John the Baptist referred to that exact scene, I saw something about through Scripture, like an x-ray machine, how God works in transition. It's not how He worked in that transition. It's not how He worked in the New Testament transition. It's how He wants to work in all transitions. Before, before God sent Jesus... He sent John. The transition from the Old Testament to the New Testament had to be prepared for. Before God takes us to our future, we've got to prepare for the next level. That's where our theme for 2010 comes in, explore. Opening up the door to let God do His preparing work inside of us. Our history and past and legacy are strong. And sure, but the future's not yet here. But what is here? Now is here. What do we do now? What do we do in between the what do we do in between the strong past and the unknowable future? What do we do between them? We prepare, build on what's here, prepare for the next level. What does God's preparing work look like? I saw three things in that verse. The voice of the Lord came through Isaiah and said. Fill in every valley. What does preparing work look like? Lord, deal with all of my insecurities. Deal with the low places. Deal with the gaps. Deal with the things that hadn't been filled in yet. Like Paul said when he went to the Thessalonians, he said, I'm coming that I may add to your faith what is lacking. Lord, add to my faith what is lacking. Add to Kingwood Church's faith what is lacking. Fill in the gaps. Tear down every mountain. He's going to flatten every mountain. God, tear our pride down. Lord, deal with our stubborn independence and level it. What God's trying to do is move, but He keeps hitting potholes and hills. 
What we've got to do is let him fill in the low places and bring down the high places. Lord, every idol that I've set up in my home, in my family, in my mind, in my attitude, on my computer screen, on my TV, in my speech, every idol I've allowed in my relationship, God, flatten it in 2010. In Jesus' name, bring it down. And then he makes smooth the rough places. Some of us just got some edges. You still there? Lord, smooth out the rough edges on my life. God, I don't want to be sticking out so far that you can't get around me. Smooth out the rough places on my life. What's the preparing work of the Lord look like? It looks about like that. What are we preparing for? The future of Kingwood? No. Are we preparing for the future of Shelby County? No. Are we preparing for our own future? No. What are we preparing for? Isaiah 40 says we're preparing a way for the Lord. It's actually not centered in us at all. It doesn't have very much to do with us. We're preparing. Make smooth an interstate for God. Let him come through on a super highway. He wants to get through us to Shelby County. But we've got to let the thing flatten down and raise up. Smooth the rough edges out. Make a highway for God. Pave a path that God can move on. We're making a path so God's kingdom can flow. Where his will can be done on earth as it is in heaven. Where in 2010, he gets his way more. If you're taking notes, write this down. For God to have his way through us, he has to first have his way in us. He'll never separate those. He never will. Another season is coming. Prepare a new path. Lower every mountain. Fill in every valley. Make every rough place smooth. This is a season of preparation for the Lord. The same spirit that led Israel into new places through the Old Testament. And the same spirit that led the Messiah through the wilderness, temptation, life of obedience, death and resurrection. The same spirit that led this congregation in 1930 to establish a Pentecostal witness in Shelby County. The same spirit that led Ron Cox the last 35 years to lead this church into what it is now and into the 21st century is the same spirit that's going to lead us into the new day, into the 21st century. God has an answer for the postmodern world. And he's sowing the seeds of awakening into the fabric of it now. He's been doing it before we even knew what it was called. But we have to prepare for it. We have to prepare for it. Now, let me give you one of the ways this year we're going to prepare for it. As you know, last fall we did an experiment we called the gathering. How many of you are part of the gathering? Would you lift your hand? Look around. Would you give them a big hand? You guys did an unbelievable work. The gathering was a simulcast experience where we took a group of mission-minded folks. They, they led a service of their own in the Legacy Center. 
and we simulcasted the message. And it worked. And it went really well. Now, here's, here's what we're going to do this year. We're not going to go back to the gathering right now. And I'm going to explain to you why. It seems like if it works, you do it. If it don't, you don't. It's not that simple. It worked, and if we did it again, I think it would work again. I think it would work more. We figured some stuff out. We learned some things. But here's the thing. It also created other challenges for us that we didn't have before. So we kind of shifted weight from one foot to the other, but, but in a sense, we're no better off when it was over. Here's the issues that we faced. Our parking reached a place that it was unmanageable. When you have everyone in the same service at the same time, everybody like drives here at the same time. It's funny how that works. We haven't figured out how to beam people in yet. We'll get there. That's 2011. (laughs) But what happened is we had many Sundays that we had 30 to 40 more cars on our property than we had parking slots. So what we could never figure out is what do people have to go through to get into the building? We just knew we just greeted them when they got here. The other issue we had is our kids ministry grew and it really started to strain our present framework for kids ministry. Just in our Mission 56 class that's going on right now for 5th and 6th graders. When we started this, we were in the low 40s. As we got to the peak of it, we, we averaged in the high 50s and the 60s every week. That's just in 5th and 6th graders. How many of you know we got missionaries in there working with, the, working with the middle schoolers? Thank you, Jesus, for sending them. That's a lot of energy. 60 5th and 6th graders is a ton of energy in one room. And we've got one of the sharpest couples ministering to them every week. And they're doing a fantastic job. I'm going to tell you. Fantastic job. The challenge we had is the kids' ministries begin to stretch, the parking begin to stretch. We took three of our uh, key staff and invested them in the area we're already best at, which is which is worship service. So what it became apparent to us as we talked with the leaders of the gathering is that we'd have to uh, rethink uh, what we would do for the next year. What I thought would happen is it would work, and we'd be here now talking about the date we're going to start again. But what we learned is, uh, because of those limitations that we caused by growing, we have to have another, another way to do it. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to do, an, <laughs> it's time, I know you're going to be shocked, for another experiment. So from, let me tell you what's not an option, and I always want to make this clear. Nothing's not an option. Just to do nothing but sit here and hold the lifeboat steady till Jesus comes is not an option. Right? Okay. So what I, what I begin as we talk to the staff, as we talk to the legacy, uh, the, um, the gathering leaders, what became clear is that we had to have another way to do what we're doing. So here's what we're going to do. Is starting the first Sunday of February, we're going to offer two Sunday morning services. At 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock. You do understand if we go at 9 and 10.30, the 9 o'clock crowd won't be out fast enough to move their car so you can get in. Are you still here? That doesn't solve the parking. So we have to space them out. Now, 
Uh, the other thing that we're going to do is we're going to work really hard to make both of those services the same. So there will be uh, a choir in each service. There'll be life groups, the equal number of life groups during each time. In the middle, we're going to station in the foyer a community area. We're going to move Kingwood Joe's to the foyer, and it'll be a coffee house area in the foyer between services. So there'll be fellowship coming and going between. We'll have kids' services. The same band will be here 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock, and we're going to raise up a whole other worship team to do Sunday nights. Okay? So the whole idea is I thought about it. Now, it's an experiment, February to May. Let's see what, let's see what can happen. But here's where we are. Look around you. We're stuck. There's nothing else you can do with this room at 10.30. We're done. If nothing's not an option, we have to figure out what the options are. I started thinking to myself a few months ago, maybe six weeks ago, how is it that Kingwood Church got to the point that we had this dynamic, great service happening in, at 10.30 in this room? How did we do it? I'll tell you how it happened. 10 or 15 years ago, 16, 17, 18 years ago, whenever it was, Pastor Ron made the decision to do two identical services on the old property, and both of those services grew and got to the point that it was necessary to move into the future here. Now, what if that decision had never been made? We'd be over there, right? I wonder where it is from here that we can't see that God wants to take us that we can't get to because we can't get past the limitation we're on. I guarantee you, as long as there's a lost person in Shelby County, there's somewhere else. And we, we have to find a way to go. Now, what it requires, we're talking about preparation, right? You were shouting a minute ago. That's when it was a theory. But, but preparation, let me tell you what preparation takes. It takes sacrifice, which is, what the, which is the economy of the kingdom. The fuel of the kingdom is sacrifice. Everybody will have to realign, readjust, give up something. But if the dream that God has for this church is worth it, then it's okay. If it's not, then we're stuck. So what we have to do is grab onto in this fast. What we're going to do every Sunday morning in the month of January is come together, fast, pray, pray deeply, worship, hear from the Spirit. And then in February, we're going we're to go to two services and do what we prepared for in the month of January. Why is preparation important? I don't know if you, if you saw this movie. Probably you did. You at least heard of the occurrence. Many years ago, Apollo 13 was on its way to the moon. And in that space exploration, the crew got trapped. They didn't have enough resources to get back to Earth. And the crew on the ground was trying to figure out how to help them. Because what they were about to do is they, they had ran out of resources and were going to uh, 
a slingshot around the moon in sheer centrifugal force and be shot back to earth because the, the ship that they were in wouldn't, wouldn't make the journey. And once it was critical that they had, a, they had a certain amount of time to work it out because they were about to hit a blackout point. When they got to the back side of the moon, it was a blackout point. They lost communication. They lost everything. No one could know what would happen to them after that point. And so what the, what the team on the ground and the team in the air was trying to do is figure out a way to use only what they had on the ship, because that's all they had, to figure out how to get around the moon and back to earth. I want to show you this clip and refresh your memory. Okay, people, listen up. People upstairs, handed us this one, and we got to come through. We got to find a way to make this fit into the hole for this, using nothing but that. Let's get it organized. Okay, okay, let's build a filter. Maybe get some coffee going too, someone. The deadly CO2 gas is literally poisoning the astronauts with every breath in and out. Heads up, heads up. That's not coming. Heads up, people, look out now. What's this? That's what they gotta make. Well, I hope you got the procedures for me. Right here. That's it? Affirmative, Andy. Uh, Jack's got one right here. Okay, we have a uh, an unusual procedure for you here. We need you to rip the cover off. I want you to rip the cover off the flight plan. With pleasure. All right, now the other materials you're going to need here are uh, a lithium hydroxide canister. We have two lithium hydroxide canisters. I'm sorry. A uh, roll of gray tape. Duct tape. Uh, duct tape. You need an LCG bag, two LCG bags, uh, red suit hoses, and you've got the white plant coat. You want to cut the duct tape three feet long. I'm use this arm. Just use your arm. It's a good arm length. Oh, okay, Houston, I see what you're getting at. Hold on. Okay, Jack, tear that piece of tape down the middle lengthwise. All right. Hold on, Houston. Astronauts appear to have enough oxygen to keep them alive. One thing they have too much of is carbon dioxide. With each breath, the three men expel more of the poisonous gas into the lunar module cockpit, and the scrubbers intended to keep the atmosphere breathable are quickly becoming saturated. <coughs> I tore it. Uh, Houston, uh, what do we do if we uh, rip the bag? Can we tape it? They just tore the bag. Uh, uh, stand by. What you tell them to do? Well, they should have one more bag left. But they've still got uh, a long way to come, and they are now working on their backup facilities, their emergency facilities, and the problem is, if anything more goes wrong, they're in real trouble. Now, there the Apollo goes off to try to make it around the back side of the moon at the blackout point with only what they have. If you're taking notes, write this down. If you're going to the moon, write this down. If you're going to the moon, all you have to work with is what you brought with you. This is a season of preparation. It won't last forever. It will end. And once it's over, it's over. 
and all we'll have to work with is what's on board. All we'll have to work with at that point is what we brought with us. We'll spend the next 16 to 18 months in deep preparation, developing a long-term vision, experimenting. As the years go by, though, these are the days that we'll look back on and say, hey, do you remember when we tried that? Do you, do you remember when we were trying to figure this out? Do you remember that first year? Do you remember when we were working on all this? Some of those things will be part of our future and some of them won't. But now is not the time to shrink back and wait and see what's going to happen in the world or on Fox News or in Shelby County or at Kingwood. Now's the time to jump in and get ready and make smooth the highway and make prepare a way for the Lord to move in. Preparation is hard work, and it's tiring, and it's exhausting, and it's tough on the mind. It's tough on the body. It's tough to try to get everything done that needs to get done. But I want to leave you this morning with a word of hope from the Lord in Isaiah 40. He didn't leave us stuck. He said, prepare the way. Make a place, make a smooth place. Fill in every low place, lower every high place. But look in chapter 40, look over to verse 28. Do you not know, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak, even... Youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. God never runs out of strength. And He's more than willing to give what He has to us. He will make our legs like that of a soldier's that stands guard all night. He'll make our legs like that of a sprinter that run and don't give out. He'll make our arms like the wings of an eagle that fly and don't get weary. But, but the soaring and the running and the walking and the standing come after the waiting. They that wait on the Lord will renew their strength. Isn't it strange? In a time of intense preparation, the thing that can't be left out is waiting. Waiting on the Lord. Seeking His face. Hearing His voice. So even as we run on the outside, we've got to wait on the inside. We've got to renew our strength. Tonight, we're going to do a really different kind of service. We're going to start the year off in prayer and worship. Tonight, we're going to take this passage and we're going to pray it together. Pray these things into our spirit. Pray these things into our mind and soul. I want to invite you to join us tonight to do that. But this morning... 
Where are you at? This is a word that's so specific, it can't just be for Kingwood Church. It's not God's will to take the, the effort and the resources of a people and, and rob them of it to do the kingdom's work and leave that group depleted. God doesn't operate that way. What God does is He lines His vision up for us individually with His vision for the kingdom corporately. And they happen together. They work together as one. So even as God's filling you, He's filling the kingdom. Even as God's raising you up to be used in the area that He's given you, that's doing something in the kingdom in a broader way. Where are you at this morning? What work of God are you preparing for in your life right now? What is it? What is that thing? What is that dream? What is that vision? What is that What is that thing that God's put in your heart that you've not seen yet that you're preparing for? Or are you preparing for it? When I was a young believer, when I thought God gave us dreams, I thought He gave them to us. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm going to do this in your life. Fantastic. I'll be here when you need me. Let me know when that happens. I didn't understand my role. Now that I do, thank God that He's been generous enough to give me one.